0: There's no question in my mind, Uh, we would have filled that rink. You know, you look at the corporate sponsorship that there is today in the game. There wasn't that stuff back then. When they built a
1: building, they didn't build the executive suites and the corporate suites and all that stuff. We would have been the top attendants for many years. You know, it was pretty comfortable playing with no fans, uh, no owner that cared what you did. Well, you come to Saskatoon and Saskatchewan, you're going to get noticed on the street. People are going to talk to you and people are going to demand a little bit more out of you.
2: Dad didn't exactly have to put money in specifically, but depending how you wanted to find blood, sweat and tears.
0: Bev would have an idea of his schedule, but he was filled up with banquets and you know what? He never charged anything. He went and spoke at every one of those banquets for free and and those small towns would have made a ton of money off those banquets because people wanted to go hear his story, but That's what he was. He wanted to go out and promote the story and sell the story. And like you say, he could sell a story better than anyone. And he was, he was great at it. And
2: he was positive. You know, as much as we all wanted to believe that dad believed and his partners believed and everybody believed it was going to happen. I think when dad asked me about Everything being arranged for the meetings, I said, oh yeah, and I, I couldn't figure out the appropriate sort of fib to tell him that everything was fine. But I think that Dad could, could see that, that I, I knew something was up.
1: And I see that Coach Red Berenson of the San
0: Luis Blues has rejoined that high-scoring line of Federico, Sutter, and Babbitt. Right wing, great Malone across the line, two on one. Malone with shot, shot, save the Rebound is over the goal. Liud leaves the puck for Brian Maxwell, number four, up the middle of Fedorko. And he pokes it ahead. Intercepted there. In goes the shot that's blocked by a sliding Jerry Hart.
3: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Sticks and Gas podcast. I'm Barney Shinkerook. I know it's been a while, but we have another dandy episode for you this time around. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get to anything The episode is brought to you by our friends at Elk Ridge Resort, Saskatchewan's premier all-season resort. Just go check it out, elkridge.com. In the wintertime, beautiful. The rinks, the skating oval, the fire pits, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, anything you want. A beautiful family getaway in northern Saskatchewan, like I said. And then in the summertime, 27 holes of world-class golf. It's right next to Prince Albert National. Park right next to Waska Sioux, ElkRidgeResort.com. They got the pool for the kids, the water slide, don't sleep on shoulder season. Shoulder season's nice, lots of wildlife, just a great place to relax and check out the beautiful Boreal Forest. So thanks to everyone at Elk Ridge Resort. What in the world almost happened in Saskatoon back in 1982-83? Like how close was the city of 160,000 people to getting an NHL team? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm gonna take you on this crazy journey over the next 30 odd minutes, explaining how the Saskatoon Blues almost came to be a National
0: Hockey League team.
1: Les Doobie and I had the distinct honor on behalf of all of you, on behalf of all of Saskatchewan, to sign the final documents And the blues are now yours. Hooray!
3: Well, that infamous clip, like it still resonates in my brain. The first time I heard it, I was a six-year-old watching the CFQC news in Saskatoon on a sketchy 13-inch color TV. Bill Hunter, or Wild Bill as he was known, was a Saskatoon native then living in Edmonton who was instrumental in the start of the WHA or the World Hockey Association back in 1971-72. Hunter was one of the original owners of the WHA's Edmonton Oilers, one of the original 12 teams in the startup league that was trying to rival the mighty NHL. Bill's tireless work on the WHA could have been one of the biggest detriments to his plan on bringing an NHL team to this small Canadian city in 1983, Bill was a salesman that could play the crowd and get the masses riled up to where they were buying whatever he was selling. On this look back at the Saskatoon Blues, we'll be joined by Bill's son, Bart, who was actually playing minor league hockey in the St. Louis system in 1983. Bill's daughter, Bev, is also going to join us. She was the office manager for this fairy tale team. And Kevin Waugh, he'll be alongside. He was a young sports reporter in Saskatoon at that time so it's going to be a fun journey let's start with the question i asked bart hunter probably a question he's been asked hundreds of times how do you explain your father wild bill hunter
0: well you know it's funny guys would say people would say well what was it like growing up being bill hunter's son and i'd say well i don't know what was it like growing up being your dad's son that that's your dad and that's what you know and that's who you love and And those are the things you grow up with and you get accustomed to. But he was certainly a man that that had visions, had dreams. Uh, You know, a lot of people talk about they wish they could do that. They wish, you know, they they don't set goals. My dad was a guy that set goals and and he was a very positive guy. There was times certainly where he wasn't positive, but he had the ability to kind of hide that. And maybe in his own private time, he wouldn't be positive, but boy, when he was in front of a microphone and he was out in public, he was Mr. Gung Ho. And, and, uh, you know, and that certainly came across. Uh, I think that people had, you know, he had the ability, I think, to simplify complexity. He had the ability to paint a picture, you know, of the story that he was trying to tell uh, probably better than most people out there.
3: Kevin, you would have been really green in the business at this time. What do you remember about Bill and December of 1982? Well,
1: Bill held, uh, he was famous for the tremendous press conferences. And it was at the Delta Bezborough, downtown Saskatoon, in in the Adam Ballroom, where he always liked to to be. And you you get a, you know, come here, Bill Hunter and the Vision, and you get there and he's what his vision is to buy an, an nhl team at that time not identified just bring nhl to saskatchewan that's my dream and uh the place was packed and uh it was before christmas it was electric and it was all positive positive. and uh, so that's when it started to roll 82 and uh, it was at the bespro his favorite place And it was a vision of his to bring NHL. Dale Durkacz would be at center ice and Don Cherry would be our head coach. Dale Durkacz was a very good hockey player with the Regina Pats. And uh, so Bill had the news conference and his dream at that time was just to buy an NHL team. Now behind the scenes, obviously, they were working probably with St. Louis and maybe one or two other teams. But back in 82, that news conference was spectacular and uh, only bill hunter and his group could pull that one off and he did it was the saint louis
3: blues who bill with backing from a group of saskatoon businessmen had a deal worked out to purchase the blues were a hot mess ralston purina who owned the blues in the Checkerdome, dome the arena where the blues played agreed to sell the blues to this charismatic prairie boy and his group and then they were going to turn around and relocate the franchise to this small saskatchewan city of again just 160,000 people at that time by early 1983 the province was a buzz, thinking that this was going to happen and although it seemed far-fetched the majority of people including the smart big money men behind this team thought that this was a strong possibility
0: you know I you're right Barney I I remember Saskatoon I was thinking 160 165,000 people but whatever it was it wasn't that big and you know, my sister Bev ran the office and, you know, I know they had 15,000 season ticket requests or whatever that number was and a big book and the whole list. But, you know, you got to remember that was back before salaries went crazy and, and there was a real, I think, belief that it would work in Saskatoon. Now, maybe it would have only worked for a few years, but the fact is, I think it was believable that it would have worked here. You know, and I was sure hoping it would. I could have been a rich guy's son, maybe, you know, if they'd have got the NHL team. But that never worked out, so then I had to work for a living.
3: <laughs> we now got to hear from Bev Hunter, who is Bill's daughter, as I explained earlier. And she was boots on the ground. She was the office manager, the glue that held everything together, a lot of people say. Bev remembers how it all started.
2: So he, he contacted me after the news conference and said, okay, we had our big event. Get your bags packed and you're coming down here. So I got myself shut down, so to speak, in Edmonton. Flew to Saskatoon on New Year's Day. Took a cab to the Besborough Hotel where I moved in to a room next door to my father. Went to the CN Tower on whatever day was not a stat holiday. Walked into the Eldorado Nuclear, now known as Cameco, offices that we were able to sublet, and bim, bam, boom, it just all <laughs> happened.
0: What
3: What was it, it like? It was
2: total crazy. Yeah,
3: what was, it, what was the day-to-day in the office like?
2: Oh, I was so busy, I couldn't figure out which direction to turn. It all began with mail. So the, the announcement had been made, in December about getting a hockey team. And then I get a little because we hadn't actually told the public, the team at that point, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: but the public knew that that we were working on getting an NHL franchise. So I think people just started writing in our office location became public knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I'm in there just dad and myself at that point. And droves of people every morning and Lloyd Saunders and John Chernesky and the mayor and anybody else that you can think of, some elementary school pal of dads or whoever the heck it might be. Mm-hmm. So that, then I, I had to sit down and formulate a plan and I had to write out a plan for my father to follow <laughs> saying, OK, this is what I need to do in this business office. You know all the big picture stuff. So now we have to go A to Z and put this together and that together. Now we had Bill Mitchell and John Selinger and John was a huge help in that regard. And Bill was just so busy with all of his various McDonald's restaurants because he had, I think, every franchise in the province. Mm -hmm. Then we started hiring people. That made life a little more sane. Then I started organizing big events, uh, meeting with, Potential suppliers taking care of all these masses of mail. So,
3: Kevin, you were in the city, sports reporter, and all that. Were people really buying into this in the city, or is it like fifty-fifty, half you know, skeptical and half
1: positive? I think so. I was one of the negative media, and uh, Bev would know that because we'd be summoned to the office, and um, I just couldn't believe it back then. But keep in mind, uh, you know. Th- 83, when the announcement came forward that, you know, John Selinger, Bill Mitchell, and the entire Bill Hunter group bought a Ralston Perina from the St. Louis Blues, that was almost on the eve of the Kinsman Sports Celebrity Dinner. I remember going down to the dinner, and it was packed with about 1,200, 1,300 people downstairs, and the negotiations happened in Regina. And Bill was late. He was the guest speaker at the Kinsman Dinner. Bill was late getting there. The place was a buzz, And when he came in, it, it erupted. And, um, you know, it was tough being on the side. God, I'm not sure we can pull this thing off. And as a journalist, you always had to take both sides. It could happen, but I've got to ask him some questions. And, you know, Bill wasn't great on details. It was a big picture that he had and uh, others would be behind him, and, and, and we would move forward. So, But those dinners that he did, that Kinsman dinner that year was the greatest dinner other than the Gordy Howe and Wayne Gretzky and, and Stephen Harper when they were here. Um, that Kinsman dinner, uh, when he walked into the room, it erupted. You would think you were at Mosaic Stadium with 33,000 people. You know, one thing I remember as a
3: six-year-old, like, Going downtown to Simpson Sears or Eaton's and the Midtown Plaza wherever, Woco, and I remember the merchandise everywhere. Saskatoon Blues or and and then the bumper stickers. Like I totally remember that, Kev.
1: I'll give you the positive of this, uh, that I made up. Saskatchewan's got the blue stickers, and I had them at Turbo uh, gas stations, and that's where Bill got the fifteen thousand season tickets because on the back, would you support Saskatchewan's got the blues? And it started as a joke with me. Uh, You know, I had Toonberries and I had mugs and cups. This was in late 1982. And then when Bill actually, I remember him saying to me, do you still have those Toonberries? And I said, you know, I do Bill, get rid of them. We've got a major announcement coming up. And the major announcement was his group, was in negotiations to buy the St. Louis Blues. And so we kind of give me a seven day advantage. So I got rid of the Toonberries. We sold thousands of dollars worth of pucks, T-shirts, mugs, hats. And so, on one hand, as an entrepreneur, I was promoting it, but on the other hand, as a journalist, I was sitting by, well, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work here, so a little hypocritical, don't you think? <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, by the sounds of it,
0: might be the only guy that made money off this whole thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I might have to have a meeting with my sister, Bav and the estate may sue Kevin for yeah. royalties. Right. Right. <laughs>
3: uh... So if you're following along, they've kind of mentioned a few of the guys who are part of the group and where the money was going to come from. The $11.5 million that Ralston Purina wanted. Allegedly, 80% of the liquid was coming from owner of the Concord Group and well-known Saskatoon businessman Les Dubé. The other deep pockets were Bill Mitchell and John Selinger. There was a $32 million loan from the provincial government and a tidy $20 million 20-year deal with Molson. Remember, this was 1983. That's solid cake back then.
0: And when you look at that ownership group, you know, the real money was was uh, Dubé and, and Bill Mitchell owned the McDonald's franchise. John was in the office furniture industry. But, you know, I think Dubé was the biggest money behind it. Um, you know, and and Royal Bank was on side. Everything was in place to go ahead with the transaction.
2: Well, given that all three of them had been in the city for such a long time and and active in sports themselves, uh, especially John, his son-in-law, Brian Scroodland, they they could see the potential for an arena being filled. And I think, too, once they met Peter Batoni, They felt that much more confident that, yes, we can pull this arena off in this amount of time. We've got the province on side. We've got the city on side. It all came to be very, very rapidly. Les, um, I remember him making a comment one time, well, if we only do it for a few years, so be it. But we're going to make this thing work.
1: You had Molson's, owners of the Montreal Canadiens, for an example. They were one of the teams that voted for the transfer of the Blues to Saskatoon for a very good reason. Molson beer was the number one beer in this country. They could not say no to Saskatoon. And, you know, you had a franchise as good as Montreal was saying, yeah, we agree with this move of St. Louis, which nobody wanted the team. Let's go back. And when we met in May during the Stanley Cup playoffs – Dan Kelly, the legendary broadcaster of the Blues, came up to me at the Helmsley Palace because he knew I was a new guy on the street. And where are you from, Sastoon? Well, where can I live in your city? I am the voice of the St. Louis Blues. I need to know where the area that I should purchase a home. And don't forget, you had Emil Francis also, a former Saskatchewan guy in the NHL. Those guys were great spokesmen. I mean, Dan Kelly knew... The Blues were not going to make it in St. Louis. He came up to me uh, during, you know, while we were waiting for the vote. And it, it was serious. We, we showed the city map to him and, you know, picked out where he might want to live. And he was convinced that this hockey club uh, no longer was going to be in St. Louis for the 83 hockey season that fall. Let's, let's remember this was
3: 1983. It was a different NHL, you know, it, what it took to have a viable NHL franchise, Bart.
0: Well, for sure. And and you look at, you know, you look at the corporate sponsorship that there is today in the game. There wasn't that stuff back then when they built a building, they didn't build the executive suites and the corporate suites and all that stuff. You know, I remember going to the games in the Coliseum and the Oilers, there was none of that. Right. So yeah. it, you didn't need that kind of revenue back then, and like and like Kevin said, and like I said earlier, you know maybe it works for a few years, and then as the game moves on, maybe Saskatoon's not big enough to support it. But you know Winnipeg is, and they seem to do a very good job. And now that you know, you know what the salary caps and those things, who knows? Who knows if a city like Saskatoon could support it today? But I I fully believe they could have back then. Well, the
3: salaries, right? Like it it wasn't until the next collective bargaining agreement that they really started to climb. Like, Kevin, it was it was really
1: doable, because he's you know, like a Bernie Federico. These guys weren't making yeah. big money then. Not at all. And, and, and I still refer to Dan Kelly, who, in my estimation, is one of the three top broadcasters today in NHL history. And he was convinced. And, you know, when I talked to him, you know, you kind of downplayed it a little. I remember I said, well, you're not coming to Saskatoon. No, I am. I'm serious. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to move our family, and I, I want to know where to live. Uh, this team has no hope in St. Louis, um, and he was convinced, and others were too, not just Dan Kelly, but other members of the St. Louis. Uh, you know, I remember talking to Emil Francis uh, during the Game 4 of the Stanley Cup playoffs. He was convinced that Saskatoon and Saskatchewan, could sustain an NHL franchise. Now
3: on to the arena or the Saskatchewan Coliseum, Saskatchewan place, whatever you wanna call it. For the life of me, I could never figure out how they were gonna lock down this deal in May and then turn around and be playing in a brand new barn in October. When you look at the calendar, it just doesn't make sense to me, but obviously I don't know much about construction in the early 80s. But then there's this Peter Batoni fellow. He's like a mythical character. He was the one that convinced them that they could have a brand new state-of-the-art
1: facility in months. And any of the news conferences that Bill attended uh, always had the rink, the formation of the rink, which would be kind of Northland's Coliseum, I think, Bart, if you looked at it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could... uh, and there was never any doubt that this rink could be built in time to start the 83-84 hockey season. Bill, Bill promoted Peter Botoni and, and the fabrication of the rink. And don't forget, Saskatoon was, it's like Regina right now, desperate for a new hockey facility. So we had gone decades talking about the thing. And here comes a gentleman back to Saskatoon with finally some dream to get us a world-class facility. And so we all bought into that. Why would you question that? After we have spun our wheels for decades with the old rink and having those arguments, uh, here's a guy that came and had a vision. And I can buy into that vision. And we all bought into that vision. And in fact, SaskTel Center, SAS Place at the time, Uh, It was a marvelous facility. It still is today, even though some people think it's outdated. I mean, we can draw more than the Winnipeg Jets here. That's how visionary this thing was when the late 80s, they built this thing with 15,000 plus seats.
2: Yeah, it was going to be downtown. And then there was a group that wanted it where the current arena is. So you had a whole mixed bag of people's thoughts on that. But I, I think that the deal that we initially struck was downtown, and according to Peter Batoni, he would move mountains to make that facility operational by hockey season time. I know. Sounds crazy, doesn't it?
3: Bill had some big plans for the rink. Buses would bring people from all over the province. They would drive in to the bottom of the facility, of course, so people never had to walk outside in the winter. It's actually quite smart when you think about it. If you are in Saskatoon or from Saskatoon, you can picture this beautiful facility on the riverbank, the site of the old AL Coal Building, if you know where that is. And if you don't, just picture west side of the Sid Buckwold Bridge on the west side of the river. Would have been beautiful. And you know what? It still might happen. It was a contentious issue then, and it kind of is now still. Now, let's go back to Bev, and we find out how far-reaching the support was for this fantasy team when it came to season tickets.
2: We had letters from Manitoba, like far-reaching Manitoba, Mm Uh, A fair bit of Alberta, everywhere you can think of in Saskatchewan. Uh, lots and lots of season tickets that would be 100 to 200 miles away, and we all know that Saskatchewan farmers and rural residents will drive wherever it is to do their favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Driving means nothing to them, or doing or doing charter buses or what whatever they come up with.
3: So we moved to the spring of 1983. They had everything in place, cash wise, rink wise, and obviously you can sense how the province was a buzz about an NHL team playing in Saskatoon that fall. If you're old enough to remember, you will recall the hype around this. It was awesome. So they needed a vote from the NHL Board of Governors. Off to Chicago, Bill and the owners went to hear the fate of the Saskatoon Blues as excited as one can imagine. Bev remembers calling the NHL office to set things up for this big pitch. And then a massive feeling of dejection.
2: Um, I was planning on going to the meetings with the group a couple days before our presentation day I had to phone down there to the hotel to arrange for audiovisual equipment, etc. Didn't need that much. I was told I had to contact the NHL league office, which I did. I spoke with somebody who transferred me to somebody, and this went on for a few people. Then I ended up in John Ziegler's office, talking to a very pleasant young lady that said, yes, I'll have to see what we can do to assist you and so she put me on hold and within a matter of say a minute john ziegler's on the phone with me and i said mr ziegler i'm so sorry that i've been transferred to you i'm what i'm calling about is such a a small item and i think they must have accidentally put me through to you no beverly they didn't we have a meeting to run and you're just going to have to figure all this out on your own and that was the end of the conversation and i just put my head down at my desk and had a bit of a meltdown and said i'm not going to chicago we we are totally hooped on this
3: and hooped they were they needed three quarters of the 21 nhl board of governors to agree to the move they only got five yes votes too small too remote no rank. nhl president john ziegler and owner of the toronto maple leafs harold ballard were
1: happy yeah you know barney i think it extended back from the wha days uh the world hockey league uh, obviously ballard and and you know mr hunter were at odds over that when it came in and um, i mean those are stories that are legendary between the two uh but saying that um You know, looking back at the 82-83 season for the end, you know, I was in the dressing room of the New York Islanders when they beat Edmonton the night before the vote of Saskatoon. And uh, I remember talking to, well, unfortunately, the late Clark Gillies, Bob Bourne, and they were excited. We're going to show the rest of the world that Saskatchewan deserves an NHL team. Brian Troche, all those guys were in the dressing room. I mean, chop, you know, popping champagne. They had just won the Stanley Cup uh, against Edmonton. They were excited. And I remember Ziegler was in that dressing room, overheard me, talk to a few of the players, and he turned to me and said, oh, you're from Saskatchewan? I said, yeah, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. And he tipped his hand and said, well, it's not going to go as good as you think. Uh, so it was all already predetermined, and I remember when our owners Bill and um, Les and uh, John Sellinger came out. Many of the owners that voted no never even listened to the presentation. Had a newspaper up or sitting back, not even paying attention, and uh, it was a fait accompli before they walked into the room, and it wasn't fair to, you know, the ownership group of Saskatchewan, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, you know, back then, I, I think if you look at some of the owners of the NHL, it wasn't surprising. They held grudges for decades. Uh, and that day in in, in the room, uh, the grudges came out in against. And I remember Al Strachan came to me. We were waiting to go upstairs. Al Strachan was a, a newspaper reporter for the Globe and Mail. And at the time, he said these five teams voted for it. And one was Montreal, I recall, of course, St. Louis. Um, I forget the other three, but he knew everything. And I said, well, how the hell would he know about it? Because I'm in the same holding tank that he's in, and he hasn't talked to anybody. And anyways, we go up the elevator, and sure enough, uh, seconds later, Ziegler gets to the mic and, and gives us the news that it's not going to happen.
0: Kevin's nailed it. He said the disrespect that was shown was substantial, and I think there is a lot. I just finished reading a book, The Rebel League which was about the World Hockey Association days and you know a great read by the way and it does talk a lot about that about you know and there was a real there's a real hatred for the World Hockey Association it uh, it kind of ruined the bubble the great little the great little bubble that the NHL had and you know all of a sudden salaries went up a whole bunch and it cost those guys a lot of money no question about it it cost owners a whole bunch of money and i think those grudges were held but i but i do recall you know discussions amongst you know, while Bill and his group, that that maybe they made mistakes, maybe they needed to, you know, lobby the NHL owners more. You know, hindsight's always a hundred percent, but I don't, I don't think lobbying or anything would have would have mattered. That team was not going to get approved when Bill Hunter was involved. This is the way I'm looking at it. So that was it. The
3: dream was over, along with the obvious disappointment from the Saskatoon delegation. Blues ownership, Ralston Purina, they were livid. They filed a 60 million dollar antitrust lawsuit against the national hockey league they basically told the nhl to go pound sand and run the team themselves they just wanted out of the hockey business how about this one they didn't even go to the 1983 nhl draft well representatives went on their own dime thinking ralston purina would cave and tell them to proceed and draft some players but nope No players taken. It was the first and only time in NHL history that a franchise did not participate in an NHL draft. After months of back and forth counter suits in the summer of 1983, the NHL finally took over the Blues from Ralston Purina. And then they found a buyer, California businessman, originally from Edmonton, Harry Ornest was the lucky guy. He ended up being the only bid actually to purchase the team. Got a pretty tidy deal, can't complain. Three million in cash, nine million in notes. He even bought the checker dome for five million. And after three years, Ornest left St. Louis returning to California in 1986 with a $3.4 million profit on the blues and an $8.2 million profit on the checker dome. That is a nice $11.6 million profit. Bart, you are right. You could have been a rich man's son. Well, I hope you enjoyed this crazy look back at the almost Saskatoon Blues National Hockey League team. Man, it was so crazy. Thanks so much to Bart Hunter for joining us, Bev Hunter, and Kevin Waugh. And again, the podcast was brought to you by our friends at Elk Ridge Resort in beautiful northern Saskatchewan. ElkRidgeResort.com, beautiful four-season resort. Go look it up. They're starting to fill up this summer if you're thinking of a family getaway or, like I said, just go relax in the shoulder season. ElkRidgeResort.com As always, please retweet, share the Sticks and Gas podcast. Tune into the Monday Nooner every week. Lots of fun happening on that podcast as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Barney Shankirk, and I'll talk to you again on the Sticks and Gas podcast.